Hey guys, Bill here. Welcome back to another episode of the Bill Barnwell Show. Today, my old pal Robert Mays helps me break down the free agent moves in the AFC. But first, before we get into today's episode, I want to quickly tell you about another ESPN podcast hosted by another friend of mine, Scott Van Pelt. It's the SV Pod. SVP takes deep dives with guests and topics in an entertaining way that only he can. And of course, Stanford Steve, the host of Stanford Steve and the Bear podcast and the lead producer on SVP Sports Center, will be involved as always. I've been on the show in the past. If you want to listen to my episode, plenty of great guests on the SV Pod. So be sure to download and subscribe to the SV Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, don't miss the biggest, baddest rematch at UFC 260 as heavyweight champion Stipe Miocic and number one contender Francis Ngannou meet for the second time. UFC 260 on March 27th is exclusively available to ESPN Plus subscribers for $69.99. Visit ESPNPlus.com slash PPV to buy the show. And now without further ado, here's Robert Mays breaking down the AFC free agent period. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8 Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, joining me now as promised here on the Bill Barnwell Show, a regular contributor to this podcast, also the host of the Athletic Football Show, and several other shows in years past, a man who has watched Sudden Death many times and somehow never had a conversation <laughs> with me about it. But today he is here to talk about the free agent moves in the AFC. It's my friend from The Athletic, Robert Mays. What's up, buddy? How you doing, bud? I feel like there are certain there are a lot of different types of categories of diehard as blank. Yeah. Like there are actually good versions of it, like the raid or like the most recent Dread movie, stuff like that. And then there are bad versions of it. I think Sudden Death is the best bad version of Die Hard, if that makes sense. It does feel like somebody did it as a dare. Like Die, yes. Hard, Die Hard plus blank, and they like spun around 10 times and threw a dart at some random thing, and hockey came up. And they're like, okay. And then somebody started egging them on. Like, yes. you have to kill the mascot. He has to play in the hockey game at one point. He it was almost goalie. like they were trying to one-up each other as they kept going here. I also love that he had experience playing goalie, but he still has a Belgian ass, uh, accent in the movie. So none of it makes sense, but it's a really entertaining viewing experience. I don't want to disparage the keepers on the Belgian uh, national hockey team, but <laughs> not not known for their... Uh, their goaltender exports from my. I would always play against Belarus when I was playing like NHL Live back in the yeah. day. I wanted to really run it up. I remember Belarus being the country I would always pick. They were like 38 overall in everything, and I would pay, play with either the Canadian team or the U.S. Poor Real Belarus. Sporting. Yeah, it does. The, some some situations in the NFL feel like that from time to time. Uh, and we may get to the most situations today here on the Bill Barnwell Show because we're going to talk about free agency. And there are some teams who I think used free agency very well during this period. And there are some teams 
who went the Belarus route, who maybe did not have the best day of what they were doing, sort of threw some darts at the wall. Maybe some of them stuck. Maybe some of them did not. And I think there's a real disparity in the teams in the AFC in terms of how they approached free agency. So let's start. We're going to go team by team here. Spend a few minutes talking about each and every team in the AFC. Let's start in the AFC. So let's start with one of your favorite teams, Bayes, the team that we always sort of laud for their team building over the past few years, the Buffalo Bills. Are, are you surprised that they went the route they did in bringing back, uh, you know, guys like John Feliciano and Matt Milano and kind of sticking with the core, uh, Daryl Williams as well, the core they already have? No, I'm not surprised by that at all. I feel like when it has worked to the degree that it has over the last couple of years, you want to do everything you can to kind of stay the course. Remember, I mean, maybe even you and I were having this conversation after the season of what the Bills should do. I know I've had it several times on our show. You know, what comes next? And I think Bills fans are really curious about that just because they tasted some success. Mm-hmm. And I, my answer to that was just follow the course. Just stay the course of where you're on right now. Things are going extremely well. You need a couple little tiny moves to keep things fresh, to mix things up. A couple little tiny finishing strokes that could put you over the top. And it feels like guys like Emmanuel Sanders are those kinds of moves. So, no, I am not at all surprised that this is the route they followed in free agency this year. So when you were saying some little flourishes, some little pieces to add, what you meant was Mitch Trubisky who is now the backup quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> now, I specifically asked you to do the AFC so we didn't have to talk about the Bears and their moves. And yet the very first team we bring up here on the show happens to involve Mitch Trubisky. It, it, I mean, you picked the order. <laughs> How are you putting this on me? I, I'm just saying that ha- random happenstance. Leave, I'm going to leave jokes aside here. Like, this is a great move for both teams, right? Mitch is on a one-year, $2.5 million deal. He is a very good athlete. We saw him play effectively. Not effectively, maybe not effectively, but better certainly than he had in the past in a super play-action-heavy scheme with the Bears in the second half of sorry, of 2020. And he's going to a place where, by the way, they've happened to take a quarterback who had major accuracy issues and fix them. So I don't think Mitch is going to suddenly turn into Josh Allen 2.0, but of all the places he could have gone, it feels like Buffalo would have been in the top two or three choices, no? Absolutely. I feel like what he could possibly learn from Josh Allen, what he could learn from being in that room, working with Brian Dable. I also just think it's a really fun place to play right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, they guys are staying there on discounts. Guys want to go play there. Matt Fairburn from The Athletic wrote a really fun story today about how Josh Allen has now become an attractive piece for mm-hmm. prospective free agents. I think that Everything about the way they've set up their situation there is attractive to a guy like Mitchell Trubisky, and it's mutually beneficial. I think he'll learn a lot there, and I feel like he's the type of guy that his mobility and just his overall talent and some of the volatility that he brings you, if you have to lose two games from Josh Allen this year, I think Mitchell Trubisky could do some things for you. You don't want him to be your quarterback week in and week out, but I think this is a really good choice for both sides. How do you feel about swapping out John Brown for Emmanuel Sanders? I like it because when they got John Brown, it was pre-Stefan Diggs. So when you're looking at the skill sets of Diggs and Brown, I think there's some overlap there when you look at Diggs' ability as a vertical option. Emmanuel Sanders is, I think, a perfect complement to what you have in Diggs because he's a little bit savvier of a route runner. He's more of that intermediate threat. If you're trying to piece together different skill sets, I actually think he fits the Bills better than the current version of John Brown did post-Stefan Diggs trade, if that makes sense. Does it bother you that Emmanuel Sanders old? No, not really. 
I, I think that with their current trajectory and it being a one-year deal, all of that stuff, I thought Emmanuel Sanders was still moving just fine last year. I think with a little bit more of an explosive offense and when he's truly, you know, the number three option, I'd want to say on this team and with the saints last year, you could argue what that hierarchy was, especially among the non running back pass catchers. So no, I'm not concerned. I think it makes sense for them. And I think it makes sense for him. Mm -hmm. You think they want to add anything else from this free agent period in terms of whether it be more depth, whether it be that last missing piece, like, is there something you're looking at for them where you think, okay, if they can make this one last move, it puts them over the top. Well, they had, they were in on Grump, correct? And that yes. was reported that they wanted to kind of sniff around and see if he was available, which I think to make total sense. And they eventually went more of a discount route by signing uh, Jacob Hollister. So yes. that's eventually how that finished <laughs> out. So, I mean, it's... <laughs> yeah, that, that is the discount. The discount be nice to Jacob Hollister. Be nice, be nice to Jacob Hollister. It, it really is. But I, a tight end, obviously, they wanted to add a piece there. They did. And we'll see what they do in the draft. You know, one of the things I've really appreciated about the way that Brandon Bean has done this is that they've spread out their free agent resources such that they didn't feel compelled to reach for any one position in the draft. You know, they've been able to really take best player available truly when other teams aren't able to do that and don't have that sort of flexibility. And I think they're in that spot again. You know, there's no one area of this roster where you think we need this guy in the first round or we need one of these guys in the first two rounds. If there's a pass catcher at any of the positions or a running back or just something they feel like we can add some juice to the offense, I think they could be looking at one, but they don't necessarily have to go that route if there's somebody else they like better. So you're not joining me in asking for the Bills to trade three first-round picks to move up and take Kyle Pitts? <laughs> uh, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I would love to see Kyle Pitts on the Bills, but I think with the way the Bills are at right now, it's uh, staying the course is, is what I would advise them to do. They're doing fine. Miami Dolphins, I felt like had a really impressive, quiet free agent period. Um, a lot of moves that just seem to add up to make total sense. A lot of one-year deals for guys, but Jacoby Brissett for one year and $5 million. Justin Coleman, one year, $2.75 million. Matt Skura, one year, $1.75 million. And I think the, the big one being Will Fuller, one year, $10.6 million for a guy who is going to miss week one with his suspension. But we saw last year, I mean, a guy who is a phenomenal wide receiver went healthy and was healthy all that season missed the final chunk of the year because of a suspension not because of an injury so um, not making a big commitment to fuller adding adding pieces on both sides of the football kind of sticking with your core and still having options down with the third overall pick yeah i love it i mean the justin coleman contract it's almost the exact type of move you'd see with new england even though it's a little bit muddled because he came from the uh the seahawks to detroit so it wasn't totally like that, but it still feels like the old pipeline of mm -hmm. the Patriots let players get paid a ton of money. And then after those contracts don't work out, they pay them again, again at a discount on a mm -hmm. one year deal. That's exactly what this feels like for Justin Coleman. I mean, the fact that we're, he was not good in Detroit, but we're two years removed from him getting a monster deal from the lions, yeah. getting him on a one year, $2.8 million deal for secondary depth is fantastic. I mean, even going out and getting a guy like Jacoby Percet on a one-year $5 million deal to be your backup quarterback, I think is a really shrewd choice. And similar to what we were talking about with the Bills, we, we discussed it on our show yesterday, not only the third overall pick, but their second first-round pick, mm -hmm. and then another pick in the top 36. Like This team could just have so much talent on it, and because they don't have any glaring holes, that talent could come from 
really any single direction at any single position. There is nothing locking them in to any sort of draft plan. I really like what they've done. Okay. So what is the ideal scenario then for the Dolphins at three after what they did so far in free agency? I would trade down. You would trade down? Yes. That sounds like something I would do. I don't want to trade down. I would trade down because in this draft, especially holding that number three pick, if we assume that the Jaguars and the Jets pick a quarterback, you hold all the cards. If there is one of those teams, let's say in the Patriots, Broncos, Panthers range, or even uh, who else is right there? There's another team I'm forgetting, but those are the three teams. Oh, Niners, perhaps. If those teams are kind of hanging out there in that eight to 12 range and they really want their quarterback, I think you could get a fantastic haul for one of those guys. And unless I think Penny Sewell, if we're talking about positional value and availability and scarcity and everything else would be worth the third overall pick. And if they want to go that route, I would completely understand it. But if they want a pass catcher high up in the draft, I can't in good conscience suggest drafting a wide receiver third overall when you could trade down, get more picks and probably get a similar player with the 10th overall pick. So I just think this is a chance for them to stockpile even more talent because there's going to be a desperate team that's willing to pay a lot for that third overall pick. I would take Sewell if it were me. I'd I, feel, that's feel fine like with we've me. reversed. We've reversed. That's fine here. with me. I if it I would let's say this. I would take Sewell or I would trade down. Yeah. If you're I not agree. gonna take him, then I would trade down. But he really does seem to be one of those rare, rare prospects. And that's about their offensive line. You know, you know, people, I, I know the quality of the Dolphins offensive line has been an ongoing discussion over the last year or so online. Yes. But they nothing that their offensive line did last year, even if they spent some draft capital on it, prevents them from making more moves there. There is mm-hmm. nobody that has established themselves among that group where you would say, we can't do anything else. We cannot add competition here because that guy has that spot locked down. And I think that's okay. I think that's why you get tons and tons of draft picks in order to give yourself those avenues. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think, you know, they did use a one and the two last year on offensive linemen. It wasn't like those guys were so locked in as rookies that I would not be willing to make a move and add more offensive linemen. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if you remember last year's Super Bowl maze. This is a league where you probably cannot have enough offensive line depth. And when I have a young quarterback who is entering his second season, a make not a make or break season, but certainly a season where they expect more out of Tua Tango Vailoa, I would consider Sewell at three unless someone blew me away with a trade offer, which is not out of the question. Um, the New England Patriots. This is going to be the big one, right? I mean, I feel like this is, maybe there's not a contrarian thing here. Maybe everyone kind of agrees, but it feels like there are a few different arguments you have to bring up when you're talking about this free agent hall from the Patriots. Um, for, for you, in terms of just your first impressions, looking at what they've done, all the players they've added with, with very few players outside of Joe Thune, uh leaving the organization, I mean, do you think, number one, they are a playoff caliber team? And number two, do you think they got good value for money? And three, does it matter that they got good value for money or they get good value for money? I think those are all the, the important questions. One, I do think with the right break at quarterback, whether that's Cam Newton being significantly better than he was last year or them making a trade up for somebody and eventually giving the reins to that person, then I do think that they're a playoff caliber team. Their offense, their line is really, really solid. I mean, from, from left to right, you have guys you can rely on in that group. And I don't think we should overlook that. And they have capable pass catchers now. 
I know that none of the guys are really exciting, but they're capable. And I think that they still have enough on defense, especially on the back end where they could do some stuff and they added pieces in the front seven. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, you're never going to add true difference making players in free agency. Stars are not going to come, but you can still get a lot better if you're willing to spend the money in the short term. And I think that's exactly what the Patriots have done. There's nobody in that group that I think is a true star, but I do think that their roster is such that with the right coaching, which we assume they'll get, they absolutely could be a 10, I guess, 10 and seven now, 11 and seven sort of playoff team. So I agree with that, but there are some deals there. One, I don't agree with the value. And two, I'm a little confused about the process. The Aguilar contract is objectively bad. When you look at the other wide receiver deals that were handed out and what he was available for at this time last year, it's the exact type of deal we would make fun of another team for signing. The Matt Judon contract may be fine in any other circumstance, but for this team, it's just weird. They're the team that lets Matt Judon walk somewhere else and then replaces him with Kyle Van Noy for two years and $12 million. Obviously they might not have known that. I mean, they did know Van Noy was available when they signed the Judon contract. So I, I, this is, and I think I wrote it earlier this week. I'm, I don't think they spent at any point since the 2011 CBA was signed, they ever uh, attributed more than four and a half percent of their cap to any single edge rusher in a given year. Mm -hmm. They always try to piece it together. His number is low this year, so it doesn't apply. But next year in 2022, Judon is going to account for like 7.5% of a $210 million cap. It is an out-of-character evaluation and resource allocation to that position. And that's why Mm -hmm. I was a little bit surprised. Can I tell you what's really funny to me? Like, this happens with other teams too. It's not just Patriots fans. But there are times where certain guys get signed, and I might be critical of it, because I've watched that guy play in other places and I know how it's been frustrating in other places and got fans of that new guy will be like, you don't know what you're talking about. He's going to be great here. I've been watching all the tape. He looks phenomenal. And I just think like, wait six weeks because six weeks and you're going to be like, like, like you're not going to remember this, but like, you're going to be not saying you're going to be saying something very different about this guy. And Nelson Aguilar, who even last year with the Raiders, dropped nearly 9% of his passes, according to ESPN Stats and Info, is that guy for the Patriots. Like, he's going to have some big plays, and I think he's going to be better than what they had at receiver last year, but man, like, that is not a good recipe for a fan base that has maybe inflated expectations of their receivers, and a guy who is, at his best, still going to drop a ton of passes. Um, Not thrilled about that one. The Johnny Smith-Hunter Henry thing, the, the part, I, I understand why they did it. It fits what they probably want to do on offense with Cam. Those guys are both good players. But the thing where we're comparing them to Gronk and Aaron Hernandez, like those dudes, <laughs> those dudes have not been those guys as pros. Like they may play better in New England. That's not out of the question. But like Johnny Smith hasn't topped 500 yards receiving as a pro. Hunter Henry, I think was like his top fantasy finish was eighth. Like these are good players but they're being paid the third largest average annual salary for tight ends in football. Uh, they're both tied, I think at 12 and a half million. Like they have not been that good at any point during their pro careers. Yeah. I mean, it, it's one of those things where when you're looking at guys, you think, Oh, I like him as this. And with John Smith, it was like, Oh, I like him as that type of option for the Titans as like a nice little move tight end. He's athletic. I like him as that. 
as the third highest paid tight end in the NFL, that's a little bit harder to like. I, it could be fine. It could work out. I just, when you start paying guys that sort of money and that sort of top of market deal, the expectations that come with that are just very, very high. And that's the problem with free agency overall is you start throwing these contracts around and they're for guys that don't really move the needle. And for as good and as you know, interesting and as uh, useful as those two players might be, I still don't think either of them move the needle. You know, John Smith or Hunter Henry, I think, signed for almost the exact same deal that Corey Davis signed for. Mm-hmm. Corey Davis is a more impactful player, in my opinion, than Hunter Henry. I just think that I would rather sign Corey Davis. So I think that's how you have to look at it. If you're trying to get that sort of impact from Hunter Henry, I just don't know if it's going to happen, even if the Patriots are objectively better now than they were 10 days ago. Yeah, I mean, like for Aguilar and Henry, you could have spent less money and come away with um, Corey Davis and Gerald Everett and Lee Smith. You know, like it's, I feel like there were better ways they could have accomplished the same thing. And they just, they misread the market. They got aggressive on day one with the guys they wanted to add and they'll be better. But it's very atypical for the Patriots. Uh, Let me finish up with this, Mace. In terms of the quarterback situation, given what they've added, do you think that in week one, the quarterbacks on this roster will be Cam Newton, Jared Stidham, and Jacob Dolagala, who might not be a real person. Um, I apologize to the Dolagala family. Oh, he is a real person, <laughs> formerly at the Bengals, Central Connecticut State prospect. Of course he is. Um, okay, so you didn't watch him at Central Connecticut State? I was a big fan. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't get the all 22 from Central Connecticut State. I'm more of an Eastern Connecticut State guy myself. Um, do you think they will add another quarterback between now and the start of the season? And if so, yes. who do you think it'll be? Yes, and I don't know the answer to that. I, I, th- I feel like they're going to have to add somebody, and they will add somebody. So I'm going to ask you to wildly speculate for the purposes of a podcast. Do you think it'll be a rookie, or do you think it'll be another veteran to compete with Cam? I think it'll be a rookie. And I would not be surprised if they went out and they made a very aggressive move up the draft to get one of those guys. I would not be surprised. I don't know anything, but the way that everything is kind of setting up right now, I would not be surprised if they went and did that. Does it feel like Bill Belichick is all in for like the next two or three years and then he's good? Yes. He's like a 70 year old man. Like the fact, the idea that he would keep slow playing this stuff, I think is just a little bit unreasonable. Yeah. He's not Sean McVay in terms of like, Oh, you know, we can try this again in a few years. Sean McVay got fed up with his quarterback and made a panic move. He got impatient and he's got the rest of his life ahead of him. Yes. Robert Kraft is 79 years old. These guys got used to winning for a long time and things have changed. Like there's a chance maybe they stay put at 15 and they get like Mac Jones. But I agree. Like, I think that Eagles pick at six, um, I would not be shocked if there was a trade with the Patriots there. I also think the Bengals should try to trade down. That is a team with a ton of holes and they're sitting pretty with that fifth overall pick. I would absolutely try to get out of there if the tackle that you would want is already gone. I mean, there are another candidate. There are several teams I think that would benefit from trading out of those picks. And that's why I think the teams that might be looking for a quarterback, they're just more of them in play for those guys than we think right now because of what sort of hole you could get if a team is desperate. Like if the Panthers are willing to make a trade, if the Broncos think the time is now, I think a lot of teams right there in the middle of that top 10, so much could change between now and the time the draft actually starts. Do you remember how the... um... It was the Browns and the Bengals, right? It was for the uh, AJ McCarron trade. God, I don't even remember that. Oh, yeah. Yes, that's the right. Browns, the yes. Browns were about to trade like a second and a third for AJ McCarron, and they couldn't get the tax right. at the time. 
I would I would wonder whether the Bengals, who have not don't ever trade down, especially in key situations, I would wonder if they just don't have the like facts capabilities to get that deal done because they don't trade down. It's it's interesting because I there's some ways that they operate that have changed over the last couple of years, right? They've been more active in free agency, everything else, but they refuse to offer guaranteed money into the second year of contracts, which is how you come away with Trey Hendrickson instead of Carl Lawson. So they're stuck in their ways in some elements and in others, they're willing to change. So we'll see with the trades in the draft, which way those go. I hope so. Um, New York Jets. I mostly like what they did. Um, Corey Davis on board with that move. Carl Lawson, a lot of money, but a guy who I've liked. Um, little moves down the line, Justin Hardy, I think a very valuable special teams player, Keelan Cole, um, guy who I thought has been very underrated on a one-year deal, LaMarcus Joyner moving back to safety, a move I like a lot. Um, Draw Davis, absolutely inexplicable. Uh, one year, five and a half million dollars for a guy who was not good enough to play for Detroit. Uh, I don't uh, know what's I happening there. I disagree with that. I you disagree do. with that. I think that's worth a flyer. If you just think he was entirely mismanaged by that coaching staff there, I can understand betting on a guy with that sort of first round pedigree. Okay. Okay. But who on planet earth was going to offer him $5.25 million? It's a one-year deal. I'm not going to get worked <laughs> up over that. I think it's worth a gamble when you, when you have literally endless amount of cap space, what do we always talk about? It's about opportunity cost. You're not going to be able to spend all the cap space you have this year. If giving him a contract doesn't preclude you from doing anything next year or the year after that, whatever, roll the dice. Okay. Okay. So two things. Number one, you can roll over cap space. So it will preclude you from doing something in future years. Uh, Number two, you might stumble on a guy who's cheap at that position. Number three, the guy you have playing next to him is uh, CJ Mosley, who's the highest paid middle linebacker in football. Like that's not the place where you need to be going out, hoping to find guys on one year deals. And let's say he does break out on a one year deal you have to re-sign him for more money next year? Like, like I don't understand what the what the goal is here. Like, we have on a already deal, spent too much time talking about this. Okay, I'll move on. Um, for the Jets, I mean, overall, do you like what they did? I really do. I really do. I think that we talked about it. You really can't, you can't often find difference makers in free agency. I think the two guys, in my opinion, from this group of free agents Mm -hmm. that for the right deal could eventually become values. And we could look at them in two years and say, that's a really good contract for that level of player. The two guys coming into it overall on that list for me were Carl Lawson and Corey Davis. Mm -hmm. And they got both of them. And I think that Sheldon Rankins as an interior piece for them, I think that defensive line suddenly becomes really interesting. So I love it. I think that the plan overall made sense. The types of players they came away with, made sense. I'm excited to watch Corey Davis in an elevated role with maybe a little bit more passing. And I'm excited to watch Carl Lawson in this defense. To me, the only question with Carl Lawson, the single one is health. That's it. Mm-hmm. I, if the player he is on the field, I think is very worth this sort of contract. And health is one of those things that I don't think about enough. I, I remember I've talked to people with teams that give me crap about that where I'll just be like, God, this team got so unlucky with injuries. And they'll be like, did you see all the injury history of the guys that they acquired? Like that's this, how, that's how this works. So I've tried to be more conscious about that, but with him, I just think the talent and the upside is so intriguing that it's a dice roll. I'd be willing to take. How many years have you been a chargers backer maze? (laughs) 
many? It's the perfect example. And, and, perfect and, example. And by the way, to be clear, how many years have I been a Chargers backer with you? Uh, oh, God. It's so true. We were we were talking about, I got excited about Ode Abushi yesterday on our show. And I was like, I'm doing it again. It's inevitable. I'm like a moth to the flame. I just don't learn my lesson. I think just the sentence I got excited about Ode Abushi in general. Like if, if, if literally someone came to me in the street and said, who do you think in your life said, I got excited about Ode Ibushi. My first and only answer would be you. I appreciate that. That means a lot to me. I'm, I know. I'm, I'm glad I'm that sort of person. That's exactly who you are. Um, Baltimore Ravens, a uh, a team that kind of did Raven stuff this year. Let uh, let Matt Judon go, picked up a comp pick. Let Anakin Ngakwe go, picked up a comp pick. The one free agent they've brought in from outside the organization so far is Kevin Zeitler, a guy who is going to help their core competency of running the football and who didn't cost them a comp pick because he was cut by the New York Giants. Now, we know they were in on Juju Smith-Schuster. They, of course, have question marks at wide receiver uh, in terms of the weapons for Lamar Jackson. Do you think they can have a successful offseason without bringing in a significant veteran addition at wide receiver? I don't know how we're qualifying successful offseason in this context. Uh, I'd say no. I feel like if they step into next year with the same group of pass catchers that they had last year, even if they're getting a guy like Nick Boyle back or they feel like improvements along the offensive line are going to help their passing game overall, I still think you have to add some sort of pass catching presence in the first three rounds. If, unless that ha- if that doesn't happen, I would be truly shocked if they're willing to roll with this group again. Maybe they add someone late in free agency, although I think the pool of receivers is starting to get extremely thin. But I know Sammy Watkins was there. So, yes, I will be very surprised if they don't have something of value at that position between now and September 1st. Yeah, I mean, the guys who are left in free agency, you're looking at Larry Fitzgerald, who's probably retired, Golden Tate, Sammy Watkins, Adam Humphreys, Marquise Goodwin, Corderell Patterson. I mean, it, it's getting pretty thin. Antonio Brown, maybe. Um, you're basically looking at Sammy Watkins or bust. And Sammy Watkins is not exactly... Uh, when it comes to guys who are healthy, uh, someone you can count upon. So I, I think Watkins would make total sense for them, but I do think that they have to pursue something for Lamar Jackson because, I mean, you saw in that Bills game, right? They were just, guys were not open time after time after time, whether their passing concepts weren't mature enough, whether Lamar wasn't effective enough. Like he did not have that get me out of jail free card the same way that Josh Allen does with Stephon Diggs. Yeah, and I don't even know if you need somebody of Stefan Diggs's level. I just want to see something with a different skill set, a different body type. I mean, you look at the types of guys they have on that team, and you know, Devin DuVernay and Marquise Brown are not big gentlemen. And while Miles Boykin is a little bit bigger in terms of frame, I still don't think he's that type of physical presence that they could really use on contested catches, everything else. I just think they need somebody outside the numbers that gives them a little bit more in terms of physicality than what they have right now on this roster. And it, it doesn't count if it's Des Bryant. Thank you for referring to them as gentlemen. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, Cincinnati Bengals did spend a lot, like you said, or did spend more money in free agency this year. Uh, Trey Hendrickson coming in on the edge to replace Carl Lawson. Uh, certainly added a bunch at cornerback. You lose William Jackson, but you sign Mike Hilton from the Steelers. Shadobi Wuzie from the Cowboys. Um, Larry Ogunjobi comes over from the uh, the division rival Browns on a one-year deal on the interior to replace Geno Atkins. Riley Reef signed from the Vikings to play tackle, presumably, or maybe he was inside a guard. But um, 
do you think the Bengals did enough here or is it just sort of shuffling chairs given what they had leave the organization this offseason? I had Bengals fans today because we had a long conversation on our show this morning about them and whether they had done enough. And I thought that they did okay in terms of the pieces they add along the offensive line because I don't know if there are these impactful interior offensive linemen in free agency. Like you can't just conjure them. Mm-hmm. And they apparently were in on Joe Tooney. They missed out on him. It's not as if they cheaped out and that's why he got the biggest contract ever for an interior offensive lineman. Mm-hmm. They signed Riley Reef to what is, in my opinion, a really nice contract. I mean, to get a starting caliber tackle for one year, seven and a half million dollars mm-hmm. as a stopgap, I think is really good. They brought back Quentin Spain on a one-year deal. He was not good last year, but I also think that the players around him weren't very good. He was bouncing around between positions. Mm-hmm. It's not a high risk. Xavier Suofilo will hopefully be healthy, and they like Trey Hopkins, their center. They, they, he's a smart guy. He's a good presence in that room. So I feel like they need to add people in the draft. Like I, They should draft an offensive lineman high. They should be looking to add quality to that position, but – I don't think they needed to be more aggressive at those spots necessarily in free agency because I don't know who was available that could immediately help them and provided a significant upgrade over the guys that they brought back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, if Jonah Williams becomes a starting caliber left tackle, if he stays healthy enough to do that, um, that goes a long way as well for the Bengals. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're in transition. Like, like they're not going to be a playoff team this year, most likely. Um, you like what you saw from T. Higgins last year. You know, you're not going to miss A.J. Green all that much. You're hoping that maybe you get another piece in the draft at receiver for Joe Burrow, but really more about keeping him healthy, it seems like, than anything else. I mean, I, I don't love swapping out Trey Hendrickson or swapping out Carl Lawson for Trey Hendrickson. I think a lot of his production does not look all that great on closer view, but it really is only a one-year deal with three options, so they can get out of it if he does turn out to be sort that, of a, a – That's w- – so weird to me though to be signing a guy for 15 million million dollars a year with the rationalization being we can just cut him if it goes wrong that's very strange to me i I just that contract makes no sense in my opinion i think trey hendrickson is a fine player but that deal the fact that he got the same aav as carl lawson and the only rationalization for why it's worth it is we're protected if it goes wrong i I just don't like that I, i think that that's a downgrade and it just didn't make sense when you consider some of the other holes this team has. It's even more than that. It's 20 million for the first year. So really they could have franchised Lawson and paid less than what they're paying Hendrickson. So don't love it. I, I don't love that, that swap out there, but you know, we will certainly see um, the Browns mostly moves on the margins, a team that, you know, they're going to go back with their core, let Ogan Joby leave, which I thought maybe they might try hard to bring him back a little bit, but uh, let him move on guys like Kevin Johnson, Terrence Mitchell, leaving the organization coming in big move is John Johnson uh, taking over at safety. The biggest hole for them last year, all year with Grant Delpit out for the season. Um, Otherwise guys like Tack McKinley coming in on the edge, Anthony Walker, um, sort of a glue guy for the Colts at linebacker, Troy Hill signing over from the Rams. What do you think about what the Browns did uh, this off season? I really like it. I think it makes total sense. Um, I know they weren't going to pay at linebacker. So the Walker deal for one year, three and a half, just to have a capable starter at that spot, I think it makes total sense to me. Also, didn't they sign Malik Jackson? Uh, did they sign Malik Jackson? I, I believe they that. did. And I think, so he's there on a one-year deal. That to me is the perfect yes, sort of stopgap signing for depth and for a rotational rusher. You know, he's post-type in Philadelphia, but he was still a useful player last year. Bringing guys like that in, Tack McKinley, 
I think that they needed to piece this defense together. The only two guys, the only two spots that precluded them from making any sort of move on defense were a starting corner in Denzel Ward and Miles Garrett. Outside of that, I think anything was on the table for them to add defensive talent. And that's exactly what happened. The John Johnson move and the Troy Hill move, I think both give you flexibility in the secondary Mm -hmm. because I think Johnson can play with Ronnie Harrison and Delpit in certain packages. Hill plays in the slot, but he can play outside if you need him to. I just think adding flexibility, versatility, and talent at all levels of their defense is what they needed to do. And that's exactly what they did. Yeah. And I think the thing they're missing probably most at this point is maybe another edge rusher. But you think about the guys who are out there, there's still a lot of talent out there at that position. Melvin Ingram, Carlos Dunlap, Jadavian Clowney, Justin Houston, Ryan Kerrigan, um, Everson Griffin, Bruce Irvin. I mean, some of these guys are bigger names now than they are players, but there's still guys who you can plug in for 20, 30 snaps a game and get useful production from. So, you know, it's sort of like the Ravens are in a tough spot because they need a veteran whiteout and there's really one guy left, whereas the Browns need an edge rusher, but there might be five or six guys left who they could plausibly sign and play in a meaningful role. I love the idea of Clowney or Ingram being there as just a chaos creator. When they can be the true number two or even just rotational guy on a defensive line that includes Miles Garrett, and that's the role that they fill. If your expectations are not that they're going to be the best defensive lineman on your team, I think that's where you can be pleased with bringing those guys aboard. I mean, look at last year, a year ago, at this time, Jadevian Clowney signed for a one-year, what was it, $16 million deal? Mm-hmm. Let's say the Browns get him for one year and $8 million. I know Jadevian Clowney isn't the most exciting name in the world anymore, but I think that makes you better and without a lot of risk involved with it. So mm-hmm. those are the types of swings they seem to be making right now, and I support that plan. Yeah, I agree. Um, Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, if you're a person who believes the cap is not real and does not matter, Please do not look at the 2021 Pittsburgh Steelers offseason. It has not gone to your specifications. Losing a guy like Tyson Alawalu for two years and $6 million when he was a very productive player in the first half of 2020 for you tells you that they have significant issues. I mean, losing Bud Dupree, that's going to happen. Like Bud Dupree is going to, you know, you're going to lose too much money. You have to sign TJ Watson. You have to sign um, Mika Fitzpatrick soon. You're going to have to make some sacrifices on defense. That happens. But, you know, uh, Mike Hilton's gone. Matt Feller's gone. And coming in, uh, Miles Killebrew and Joe Haig. And I like Joe Haig. And they were they were able to get Juju back on a one-year $8 million deal. You just deal. got on me for saying, I like Ode Ibushi. And now you're coming with, I like Joe Haig. Yeah, I'm a Joe Haig stan. You know that. I have a Joe Haig jersey in my closet. Which team is it from? Is Colts or Bucks? It's Of course it's Colts. Come on. You think I'm just a front runner? You think I just am a Johnny come lately with my Joe Haig jerseys? Don't be Did you watch the, the Peyton Manning detail? where he was just roasting Joe Hag for like five straight minutes. No, I did not. It was absolutely brutal. I felt so bad for Joe Hag. It's the play where he drops the ball in the end zone in the Super Bowl. And oh, no. Peyton Manning, he, there were like four punchline, like set up punchline jokes. This is not just a stray shot at Joe Hag. Like they sat down, the writers for that thing, and were like, all right, we're going in on Joe Hag right now. I just did not see it as a necessary thing, but I enjoyed it when it was happening. I talked about this with Mina the day after the Super Bowl. Um, has there ever been a more conflicted celebration than Joe Haig, who wins a Super Bowl? You know, childhood dreams come true, but also he drops a pass in the end zone in the Super Bowl that would have been a touchdown. 
probably had some, I don't think he had money writing on it, but probably everyone he knows had money writing on, on him catching a touchdown in the Super Bowl one way or another. Like that is one of the all time, like, you know, uh, Alonzo morning gift days for Joe Haig. I still think it was, it worked out pretty well. Uh, I, think, I, I would take the getting roasted and the dropping the pass to win a Super Bowl. Would you, would you rather as a former offensive lineman lose the Super Bowl, but catch a touchdown pass or win the Super Bowl, but also drop a touchdown pass? Win a Super Bowl. Absolutely. Do you think, do you think the vast majority of offensive linemen would agree with you? Probably. Yes. Okay. I am not a former offensive lineman, so I am under no such oath and I would disagree um, for the Steelers. I mean, it sort of feels like there's something else they could have done in terms of their options. Like they're going to lose some players. They were built to win over the past couple of years. They have to sort of make do with what they have. now. It's not a good situation. I mean, you talk about the uh, losing. Hey, sorry, my dog. Um, you talk about the. You, um, you don't talk to me like that, Mace. Thank you. Sorry. I, I can't remember who you were talking about, but guys getting elevated. It's like bringing Joe Hag into a role for a guy like Matt Filer or whatever it is. Yeah. When you start losing these pieces or Tyson Aluawu, it knocks everybody down one or two pegs. Mm-hmm. So last year, when you had somebody like Robert Spillane or Alex Highsmith or Cam Sutton be backups that stepped into starting roles because of injury, you could sit there and say, oh, they played pretty well. Now, yeah. all of those guys are paid to be starters and you need them to be starters. So it starts to chip away at these layers of your roster. And I think that's exactly where the Steelers are now. There is no basis for anyone to argue that the 2021 Steelers will be any better than the 2020 Steelers outside of maybe Matt Canada gives them something as an offensive coordinator. On a personnel level, this team is worse in every conceivable way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they still might be good enough to win if they can just get a running game going. And I mean, a lot of their guys who are still free agents, guys like James Conner, Alejandro Villanueva, are still out there. So like, it's not impossible to imagine them coming back on one-year deals with voidable years to keep their numbers down. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. I, if Villanueva comes back, I'm not suddenly going to get excited about this team. I just feel like the moment Roethlisberger wanted to come back, you enter a holding pattern that is not beneficial to your franchise. Paying him, even at $25 million, the steep, steep discount that he took, it still is too much to be paying to the type of player he is right now in his career, but it's not as if you can shoo him out the door. So it was always going to be a tough situation for them if he wanted to come back and play because they're kind of sitting there waiting to see what the next version of the franchise is going to look like. So if he had retired, what would you have done? I don't know what I would have done, but I just think it opens you up into maybe not feeling as compelled to maximize this version of the roster. You you have options at quarterback. Maybe you kick the tires on somebody like Sam Darnold. or None of the options are exciting just because of where they would be picking. But I just think the mindset is a little bit different when Roethlisberger is not there. Do they have options at quarterback? Are there other players in the Steelers I'm not aware of who are good at football at quarterback? Or... I mean, no, they don't have options as it currently stands. But if they okay. were to go make a move at quarterback because, okay. he, was, because he was not on the roster, I Got think it. if he's not there, you're freed up to be a little bit more aggressive in adding somebody. You can make a trade up that you can trade up in the draft if you want to. Maybe they still do that. But I just think that with him coming back, it was always going to be this half measure that wasn't particularly exciting. Okay. I see what you're saying. Houston Texans. I'm not going to list all the guys they've added. But, I mean... Half of I, them are made up, so you might as well I, not. I have 23 players 
coming in. And like some of them, yes, they sound made up. Like Cole Toner, I know Cole Toner's an NFL player, but sounds like that's a made up. Um, uh, the wrong like, Joe Thomas. The wrong Joe Thomas. Um, you know, like, like I've heard of the vast majority of these guys. And some of them are kind of good. Like, I like Desmond King. I like Philip Lindsay. I like... Uh, You're out of guys. Andre Roberts. Andre, I like Andre Roberts. He's uh, a useful return man. But, like, there is a... Like, you can sort of make fun of what they're doing. But at the same time, there's a clear plan here, right? They're upgrading their special teams. They're upgrading the back of their roster. They don't want to be stuck with replacement-level guys playing 300, 400, 500 snaps. And I don't know the guys they have are going to fix anything if Deshaun Watson is not their quarterback. But I can at least appreciate that there is a coherent plan happening here. Yeah, it kind of reminds me in a little bit of what the Lions are doing, where they're just bringing in a bunch of guys outside of the Brockers trade, but I think that's a, a sort of different conversation. But the just the small deals that they're signing. You know, one year, $4 million for Tyrell Williams. You know, just those sorts of contracts because – you, know, you want to improve the margins of your roster. You want to put your stamp on it, but you also don't want to commit anything because that's just not where you are as a franchise. So I completely understand the direction. I mean, it's kind of funny and not exciting, but I don't think there's anything bad to say about it. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I, I don't think they could have sat out and that would have been fine. And there are some moves like signing Mark Ingram. I'm not really sure what he's doing there. I'm not sure how he helps the roster all that much, but like they're sort of, they're in transition to something else from what they were in the past and what they were in the past cannot come back. Like they have to move on. So at least this is a, a, a plan for moving on that I can see the logic in, which I can't say for some other teams in the NFL in terms of what they're doing in free agency. Um, man, just so many names on this list. Like this is like, like when you start a new franchise in Madden and you cut the 10 worst players on your roster and just sign the top 15 guys who are still available in free agency. Like that's, that's exactly the sort of what they is. made. It's just so many guys that catch a random touchdown pass. That's a game break on a Sunday at 3:28 PM. Mm-hmm. Like that's exactly what this group is. It's like everyone has watched Pharaoh Brown catch a touchdown as part of the red zone montage. Like that's, that is this group. That indeed. Now the opposite approach, the Indianapolis Colts, a team that has basically signed nobody. Um, the only player I believe they brought in from outside the organization is Isaac Rochelle, who was someone who I have to admit, I do not know who that is. Um, I believe he was on the Chargers previously, but if you ask me which position he plays, I would not be able to tell you. They have otherwise um, brought back Marlon Mack, which I was a little surprised by, brought back Xavier Roach, which I wasn't surprised by, and just today signed T.Y. Hilton to a one-year $10 million contract, which I'm sort of between those two spaces. Like I was maybe expecting them to let T.Y. go, but maybe when his market didn't develop, uh, it makes sense to bring him back at this price tag. It's, it looks now like it's a one-year $8 million okay. deal with the way I'm seeing it right now, which I think is a little bit more reasonable. I think that's totally fine. They, they're paying for familiarity. I understand that. I know they were working on a deal to bring him back, so I'm not shocked. Um, this, is not, this is how they operate. Uh, they're not going to spend in free agency. For the most part, the moves they've made outside – Two outside guys in the past have been low-risk moves. You know, they brought in Xavier Rhodes last year. That's the type of signings they make. Um, the only real splashy moves they've made have either been trades because they thought that DeForest Buckner was the sort of player that you'll never be able to get on the open market or quarterback moves that are 
board of familiarity with their head coach. I think that they are steadfast in their belief that free agency is not where you find difference makers point blank period. I also think they have several guys they are going to be extending here in the very near future. And that is playing into their thinking in terms of how they're spending their money. Okay. So, I mean, this is what the Colts do, but is that a good idea? Like, do you think that they should be more aggressive than they are in terms of pursuing outside help in free agency? So who is a player that you would have wanted the Colts to sign and you think would have made them appreciably better that they did not sign? Trent Williams? That was never going to happen. Why not? I just think he was always going back to San Francisco if the money was right. I don't think they were ever going to get him. I also don't think that they have enough money to theoretically sign Trent Williams plus their draft class plus everything else because this is a team that has pretty tight purse strings. When it comes to that, I don't think you're going to see many restructures and bonus conversions when it comes to the Colts. Yeah. I mean, they, they, in terms of the cash you're saying. Yes. I think that's fair. Um, They have the cap space to do it for sure, but um, I see what you're saying. I mean, you know, they are going to sign Quentin Nelson to a big deal. Darius Leonard's coming up for an extension. Like they're, they have work to do, but I think that, they could have added a number one receiver. They could have gone for someone like Will Fuller or Judas Schuster as opposed to T.Y. Hilton. They could have added a, a edge rusher, which now, by the way, their defensive line doesn't look all that great with Justin Houston wasn't necessarily playing at his old level anyway, leaving in free agency. I think they lost to Nico Autry, who was a useful interior disruptor um, in free agency to Tennessee. And of course, they have DeForest Buckner. They signed Grover Stewart to an extension, but suddenly, you know, uh, the, the draft additions they've made in the second round and third round at edge rusher, those guys are now starters. And I, you know, I, I would have been maybe a little more aggressive in adding help there. They could still add somebody, but I think that would be my concern. But the edge rusher spots. So let's think about the edge rushing contracts have been handed out. They would never sign Pud Dupree to that contract. Sure. They would never sign a guy with Carl Lawson's injury history. That's just never something that would happen. Uh, I don't think the Trey Hendrickson contract was good. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if any of the other guys were scheme fit. See what I'm saying? It's just, I, I just think that it, I agree with you. And I am typically someone who is open to the idea of free agency. And I think that the best teams include a lot of both or some of both. The best teams use free agency well, and they use it to their advantage. And they're not teams that say we don't spend in free agency. I just think at the spots where they need help, there were not that many impact players available at left tackle. There are no impact players available. So I'm not necessarily surprised. And I also am not going to bury them for not making risky moves in free agency. Cause that's just not what they do. And I don't think they're worse off that much worse for it by mm-hmm. eschewing the market this year. That's what I'll say. Eschewing thrown out there. I'm Look at me, I'm, Look at I'm me go impressed and surprised. See, if you can change, why can't the Colts change, Mace? <laughs> I just, I, I, I'm walking through all of the deals. If you do it individually, if you think about the types of players they missed out on, I just don't think it's going to happen. And also, they are big in terms of familiarity with the system. They would much rather pay T.Y. Hilton $8 million, I think, than pay Juju Smith-Schuster $8 million because they know that T.Y. They know T. Y. Hilton. They know how he's going to be in the building. They know everything like that. And I think that sort of familiarity matters to them. You know, they went out and got Philip Rivers and Carson Wentz because Frank Reich knows them intimately. I mean, that's the reason for moves like that. So 
I just, I, I just think they've done such a good job of adding value in the draft. And sometimes you're going to strike out like the Ben Banigou contra or the Ben Banigou pick is the reason that they have that edge rusher hole and we'll see what they do to fill it. But I can understand wanting to stay the course if you are Chris Boward, when the draft has been as kind to you as it's been over the years. I mean, like, it's not just Benigo, it's Kamoko Ture, Taekwon Lewis, like these are second round picks. I think they expected one or two of these guys to become valuable starters at the NFL level. And I mean, like they're rotation pieces, but they're not. No, I agree. The- I agree. I, I think that it, Ture has shown flashes. Benigo has not been effective. Ture's issue is injuries. I think that's why I threw Benigo out there and not a guy like Ture. Hmm, that's fair. Um, in terms of the Jacksonville Jaguars, not a surprise. They're going out and spending some money in free agency. Um, certainly buying in bulk, very similar to the Texans, uh, Rayshon Jenkins coming in at four years and $35 million. I'm a little surprised by, uh, the Shaq Griffin signing. I'm a fan of, I think he's a very talented player. Um, you know, signings like Jamal Agnew, like, I don't know why you need to spend almost $5 million a year on a return guy. I knew you'd hate that. <laughs> Like, I just knew you would on. hate that. But like, like. <sighs> that is the classic who's spending six million on Jamal Agnew. Right. Like, yeah. Like you guys could just get LaVisca Chenault to return kicks and punts, right? Like you could find somebody who could do that at a reasonable level. Like Andre Roberts didn't get uh, that sort of contract. And he's like probably the best or one of the top two or three return guys in all of football. And Jamal Agnew is a good return guy, but. A lot of money. Um, what did you Arlo, think about- when you can reproduce yeah. the 2020 Lions skill position players without <laughs> Kenny Galladay? You got to do it. <laughs> that, that did not occur to me, but yes, Marvin Jones it's, and Jamal. I mean, it's, it's the Daryl Bubble connection, that's exactly what it is. That's a really good point. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I don't think anything they did besides Agnew and maybe Jenkins was really egregious. But, like, I'm not really excited about many of these moves at the same time. Yeah, I think the Roy Robertson-Harris, I think teams liked him more than we might, is what I would say. Um, I think there were teams that were intrigued by him and that were going to be in on him. So that contract, I don't think, is the Jags overpaying, even though it looks like it might be from the outside. Uh, the, The Jenkins contract and the Griffin contracts, my reaction to those is more, I'm intrigued by what their defense is going to look like. Mm -hmm. Because with Griffin, I, 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 con, quarterback contracts in general, I've been a little bit – I take some time before I try to comment on them. I try to go watch the guys and mm-hmm. really get a better sense of the players that they are because there have been times where I've just at, quick, at first glance been like, ah, oh, that doesn't really make sense. And then the guy ends up being very good. Like the James Bradbury contract last year, I was just so wrong about. Mm-hmm. So when they hand out the Griffin contract, I went and I watched a few games – and his physical skill set is really impressive. Yeah. And I just think in that defense in Seattle, when you're trying to make him Kyle Fuller, where it's a bunch of off coverage and you're making him break on the ball, it just wasn't his strength. But if they're going to come out and play a lot of heavy man and rely on his physical ability mm-hmm. and just that length and the speed that he has, that's interesting to me. The Jenkins one, I don't know how he fits in. You know, you looked at the way he was used with the Chargers. He was really just that uh flat the um what's that i'm lose the the term in cover three uh hooked uh it, um something flat whatever it is the, that the role that you curl, play in cover th- curl flat 
profile. Player. Yes, yes. So he was the he was essentially just that that strong safety curl flat player in the, a cover three defense mm-hmm. with the Chargers. I don't know if that's the role they see him in here. If they're going to play more man, how does he fit in? So when I saw those two deals, it wasn't man that's bad value. It was how does what does this tell us about the type of defense they want to build in Jacksonville? That's how I saw. It, it kind of feels like they want to play a Seahawks style defense, which is weird because. They just got rid of the guy who came from the Seahawks and Todd Wash. Yeah, but it, from what I've known about Urban Meyer and what people have told me, because I don't watch a ton of college football, they were a heavy man team when he was there. Mm-hmm. And Joe Cohen, the guy they brought in to be their defensive coordinator, is somebody who came from Baltimore where that's exactly what they did. Yep. It was a lot of man, a lot of blitzing. So, And I'll be curious. I don't know what it's going to look like, but if they – that price tag for Griffin – leads me to believe that they're going to want him to be somebody they can man up on receivers and mm-hmm. really use that skill set. Paying a cover three corner that amount of money when you're building your defense, I don't think makes a ton of sense. So Jags weapons here for incoming quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, DJ Chark, Marvin Jones, LaVisca Chenault, Philip Dorsett, uh, the aforementioned Jamal Agnew, Tyler Eifert, James O'Shaughnessy and Chris Manhurts, who got a two-year, $6.25 million deal uh, at tight end. And then James Robinson, Carlos Hyde at running back. Have they done enough, or do you think they need to add more pieces for Trevor Lawrence? We'll see what they do in the draft. I mean, a wide receiving core of DJ Chark, LaVisca Chenault, and Marvin Jones, I think is fine. Mm -hmm. But this is a team that just needs more weapons. And I think that that's exactly what they're going to try to do. So, and they have the draft capital to do it. I mean, their offensive line is, I think that's why you franchise Cam Robinson. So you don't feel like you're forced to draft a tackle because you need one to start from the beginning. So I think that the way that they've filled holes via free agency gives them flexibility in the draft, which I think is a smart way to approach it. Yeah. Um, I think that they can add somebody in the draft and I think be feel pretty good about what they have in year one. I don't think it's a, finished product, but obviously Chark, I think a, a really valuable right receiver. I think a guy who could really, you know, break out further with better quarterback play and LaVisca Chenault, I mean, could make a second year jump as well. So I think there's definitely options there. Um, finish up in the AFC South, Tennessee Titans, um, big moves to upgrade the pass rush, which shouldn't be too surprising. Um, of course, Danico Autry, I mentioned coming in from Indianapolis to play on the interior, but Dupree five years, 82 and a half million dollars coming in off the edge. Janoris Jenkins signed at cornerback. They made some moves. They uh, cut Adore Jackson, went to the Giants. Um, instead of picking up his fifth-year option, cut Malcolm Butler. Um, ready, of course, we're going to be without Jadevian Clowney. Um, the Isaiah Wilson thing happened, which was a mess. They cut Dennis Kelly at tackle, cut Kenny Vicaro. I mean, this is a team that, you know, has been basically competitive for the entirety of the Mike Rabel era. And still kind of really feels like it's in transition right now. Yeah, they've flipped their defense. They had the most expensive secondary in the NFL last year. Then they cut all those guys and pumped all of those resources into the front seven. And now they don't have any players in the secondary anymore. Janoris Jenkins, I think, is a smart stopgap signing. And Kevin Johnson, I mean, they filled those holes in ways that I think make sense. But it's still a lot of questions back there. And if you look at the offensive personnel, it's just worse than it's been in years past. Josh Reynolds is a downgrade from Corey Davis. They no longer have Johnu Smith. They're, I know they signed Kendall Lamb, but are we excited about Kendall Lamb as a starting tackle? I mean, there just don't seem to be a lot of paths for this team to be 
better than it has been over the last couple of years, just because I don't think the offense is going to be quite as efficient. And that's before we talk about losing Arthur Smith. Yeah. So I mean, it seems like it's a flurry of moves. It's a lot of money spent. And I don't know how much better they are right now than they were a week ago. I mean, this is a team that, you know, are without their three first round picks and Corey Davis, Dory Jackson, and Jack Conklin. Those were the first few guys. Those guys should be in the prime of their careers. And if you hit on those picks, they should be cornerstones of your football team. And they're all playing for somebody else right now. And it's going to be hard to replace those guys. Like you're, you're going to hit on AJ Brown in the second round. That's going to help a lot, but you know, they have a question mark at right tackle instead of Jack Conklin. And maybe I say, Isaiah Wilson is effective as a rookie. They don't have to worry about that, but now they've wasted another first round pick on Isaiah Wilson, who might be out of football altogether at this point. Um, you have question marks at cornerback without a Dory Jackson. Um, the edge rushing situation, you know, Bud Dupree and Harold entry could turn out well, but like you need those guys to be superstars and it's a messy situation. Like I, I, I really think the AFC South is more up for grabs than people realize right now. So over the last six years, since 2015, the first and second round picks that this team had taken mm-hmm. is are Marcus Mariota, Doriel Green Beckham, Jack Conklin, Kevin Dodd, Corey Davis, Dory Jackson, Rashawn Evans, Harold Landry, Jeffrey Simmons, AJ Brown. That's a good year. And then last year, Isaiah Wilson and Christian Fulton. I have the hit admit, rate on those is, is not very good. I have to admit, I forgot Doriel Green Beckham existed. I, I forgot Kevin Dodd existed. So uh, one for you, one for me. <laughs> Who was Doriel Green Beckham traded for? Oh, was I it, can't remember. It was, was that, one of those very sad Eagles traits. What, was that Doriel Green Beckham for Dennis Kelly? I feel like it was. Let's look. Yeah, yeah it was. Tell me. It was Dennis Kelly, who was pretty good for Tennessee. So that, that trade yeah, that well it's for a good Dennis. trade. The Eagles have so many super depressing trades for players <laughs> that not a they nor anyone else want. They're the king of those. Who was the edge rusher they drafted the Chip Kelly year? Marcus Smith. Yeah, Marcus Smith. I, I, I forgot Marcus Smith also existed until I thought of him two seconds ago. He has become a symbol of the Chip Kelly era. I would argue the symbol of the Chip Kelly there's, era. There's a lot of symbols of the Chip Kelly era when things, uh, when you look back at things. What a what a wonderful time that was for us. Um, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think they're in worse shape than they were before free agency began. Let's finish up here with the AFC West. Denver Broncos, um, not much on the heading out. Philip Lindsay. Uh, who they moved on from. It seemed like they tendered him and then had second thoughts about it and then decided to move on. I think most everyone likes the Cal Fuller signing on a one-year deal. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I love Mike Boone. So Mike Boone coming in there on a two-year deal. I'm excited about um, Justin Simmons getting him back. What, what's they wrong? Spent a small, they spent a small fortune on players. And the third guy you mentioned is Mike Boone. I'm trying to be optimistic here, Maze. Mike Boone is a talented running back. Justin Simmons uh, is a very good safety. Bringing him back in the long term, I think, is exciting. Shelby Harris, Ronald Darby. Mm, I'm not so sure about those moves. I think Shelby Harris is fine. I, I like him more than you do, but I do think that when you look at the, what he was available for last offseason and the fact that he's about to be 30 years old, I, I get being critical of that pick. The Ronald Darby deal is, I think, the exact sort of mistake that teams consistently make in free agency. Mm-hmm. What was Ronald Darby available for at this time last year? Uh, pretty much the minimum. Yeah. And and it was the same sort of situation with the Eagles a couple of years before that, right? Uh, he I was mean, trade. 
He was traded to the Eagles. That's right. But for very little. Uh, I mean, for I, for uh, Jordan Matthews, another sad Eagles trade in its own way. Yeah. So there you go. That the, the king of this the sad trade strikes back. But I think that's exactly right. And the, for to sign Darby to that deal after one solid year when he was available for next to nothing the year before, mm-hmm. I, that I have some questions about. But I think the Fuller deal makes total sense. I think overall, if you look at this defense, there aren't many holes, man. You yeah. can argue there's some overpays, but. This is a Vic Fangio-led defense that is really stacked in terms of talent. I think they finished 11th in past defense DVOA last year Mm -hmm. without Von Miller and with serious injury concerns in the secondary. Mm -hmm. I mean, they could be really, really good on defense. So while they could be paying for some of these deals a year from now, two years from now, the contracts like the Darby deal and the Shelby Harris deal, Mm -hmm. I still think in the short term, they are set up to be excellent on that side of the ball. I was hoping they were going to trade for Akeem Hicks during that brief window when Akeem Hicks was. That makes one of us. Uh, Yeah, I understand. But like, I thought a Tim Patrick and a pick for Akeem Hicks trade made total sense for both sides. Uh, I I understand if you don't agree, but I I think they're really well positioned to compete next year if Drew Locke is competent. If Drew Locke is not competent, all these moves might mean nothing. But like, if they, man. If they could just get a quarterback, they are like a top 10 team. Yeah, I'm not giving Drew Locke that opportunity if I'm George Payton and I'm running the Denver Broncos. So what are you doing? I'm trading up for a quarterback. Do you think you can? you think you have enough to make that work? Yes. They're at 9-8? I guess I don't have to get that much to get up. It's, they're, they're not that far away. I'm, they are the team, in my opinion, that would be well served by trading up for a quarterback because I think they're that close. I think that they have a... I would still have more faith in the Niners just because of what Kyle Shanahan provides. But I think that right now, as things currently stand, the Broncos have a better roster than the 49ers do. Would you trade the ninth pick for a like third or fourth round pick in Sam Darnold? Wait, what? So if they can't trade up, like if they were going to trade for Sam Darnold, what would you be willing to give up? if you were the Broncos to get Sam Darnold? Very little. Very little. Okay. I don't. I, I think I think a mid-round pick. I mean, what? how much leverage do the Jets have? I mean, other teams need quarterbacks. So they have the ability to trade him somewhere else. I think how many though? That list is very small in my opinion. The problem is one of the teams who need a quarterback are the Patriots. And you're not going to trade Sam Darnold to the Patriots unless you want to get fired. So and I don't think that Sam Darnold is enough of a different. I think the Panthers would rather have Teddy Bridgewater than Sam Darnold. So that's not an upgrade. I think that maybe the Niners would look at Sam Darnold as competition for Bridgewater, but I don't think they're desperate to make that move. I just don't think there's much demand for Sam Darnold right now. And that's why the Jets aren't going to be getting a huge return for him if they eventually do have to trade him. I think there are some teams who might be wanting to make that move. I don't know. I think there's some teams that should. Oh, sure. But I don't know if it's I don't know if I'd give up like more than a third round pick for Sam Darnold. Okay. I, I don't I'm not saying I disagree, but I'm saying if you're that confident in your team, do you think Sam Darnold is a good enough quarterback to make a serious commitment and go with him and think you can make the playoffs with him at quarterback? No. I, I mean, I you I think that requires a lot of imagination. I mean, we've seen quarterbacks look significantly better when we alter their circumstances, but I mean, from everything that we have seen from Sam Darnold over the last few years, 
if you're going to make a sort of gamble at quarterback because you think you're ready to win now, I'm not sure he's the gamble I'd want to make. Mm-hmm. I, I would be if I if I were a team like Chicago, and I needed a long term answer, but I don't I didn't need him to be good right away. Maybe that's the sort of gamble you make instead of Andy Dalton. But if I'm a team like Denver and I think I'm a ready-made contender with the right quarterback move, I'd much rather try to go up and get one of those guys in the top 10, especially because I don't have to go from 25 to 5. I have to go from 9 to 5. And I think that's a big part of it. That's fair. That makes total sense. Um, The Kansas City Chiefs. We know they were interested in Juju Smith-Schuster. They did not get him. We know they were talking to Trent Williams. They did not get him. So let me start you with this maze. Having cut Eric Fisher, having cut Mitchell Schwartz, would you, if they were going to add a big name offensive lineman, would you have rather added Joe Thune at, at his contract or Trent Williams on his contract? Trent Williams, one hundred percent, one hundred percent, not even close to you, not even close. Because I think you can, I think you can replicate seventy five percent of Joe Thune's oh contributions don't. to your team for half the price. And I just don't think that's true at tackle ever in free agency. This, this using percentages to compare players has not gone well for us in the past. So, <laughs> I'm just, so let's think about this. Let's just think about this from a, recent examples. All right. Okay. The Chargers signed Matt Filer to a deal worth $7 million a year. Mm-hmm. The Ravens signed Kevin Zeitler to a deal worth $7.5 million a year. The Chiefs signed Joe Tooney to a deal worth $16 million a year. Mm-hmm. Is Joe Tooney giving you twice as much as those guys are giving you? No, that's not. And I think that Gar, but I'm yes, but I just think that, in my opinion, guard the supply of guards and the ability to find a guard is much much easier. Even if you think Joe Tooney is a very good player, the supply at tackle is not there. Players like Trent Williams don't hit free agency. The only reason he did is because he had that stipulation in his deal that didn't allow the 49ers to franchise him. So I think that absolutely I would rather have Trent Williams, even at that price, than Joe Tooney, because I think that left tackles are difference makers. And as much as I love guards, I think you're looking for solutions at guards rather than somebody who's going to appreciably change the overall quality of your team. So would you have done the Tooney deal then? No. No. Would you, I think would, I would have spent half of that on one of the other guys in free agency and look to spend the other resources elsewhere, especially because they have other questions along the offensive line. I, and I know that you have to have two sides to do this, but I would much rather have Matt Filer and Riley Reef than Joe Tooney. Yeah, I mean, they could have signed, they could have signed Zeitler for less than half the average annual value. Don't give up a comp pick. And then you have $8 million to work with. You could have signed maybe uh filer, maybe someone like Russell Lacoon or, you know, Alejandro Villanueva. Like there are stop gaps at the very least out there. Now, of course, they have already re-signed Mike Remmers um, to a one, a one-year deal with incentives. Do you think they go out now and spend their first round pick on a tackle? I think that would make a lot of sense. Yes. And maybe that's what they think. Maybe in their minds, they thought that Tooney was the best player available. They thought he was a quality of player that, again, typically doesn't hit the market. He also has positional flexibility. So it's not as if if somebody got hurt, he wouldn't be able to move around. That's one of the selling points of Joe Tooney. So I understand that thinking if the available players in the draft are informing what you need in free agency. So it could absolutely work out. 
I just think in a vacuum, I would not have spent $16 million on a guard when I had multiple needs along the offensive line. Does it sort of loom large now that the Chiefs spent a second round pick on McCole Hardman and a first round pick on Clyde Edwards Hilaire? And, and multiple not? picks on Frank Clark, who's making $26 million a year. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, like it turns out okay. They won a Super Bowl, but you can also still pick holes in what they've done over the past couple of years. I absolutely think that you can. And I think that's why the Tooney contract to me, it almost feels like the Clark trade in the sense that they're making these big, big swings for one additional piece. When if you would spread those resources out, maybe you have a more complete and deeper team. It also just seems weird because like they've done a good job of developing interior offensive linemen with Andy mm-hmm. Reid and Andy Heck. Like, like that's the one thing where I'd feel like, okay, I kind of trust them to go on the cheap on the interior because I feel like if you give them, you know, a couple mid-round picks, they can probably get work done with those guys and develop them into a couple starters. So, you know. It, it, I can understand paying a premium for Tooney. I mean, he's he's been on the field for every single snap right. since he got into the league. The fact that if you know your center gets hurt, you kick him over there. Your tackle gets hurt, you kick him out there. That is an extremely valuable piece to have. I, and I, again, this is not a knock against Joe Tooney, who I think is a very good player. I just think when your resources are finite and you have so many needs that maybe it's not best to just make one big swing for one guy to fill one spot. So do you think, given that they signed Kyle Long, they um they're gonna get back Lauren Duvernay Tardif. Do you think they try tuning a tackle? No, no. I think that you have long. I mean, Long's contract is a dice roll. I mean, I think that's a backup contract where you're having him for depth almost more than anything else. And it, the, the Duvernay Tardif part of it, I didn't really think about. So now, if you think, what is it? So you don't have a left tackle yet, as things currently stand, correct? No, we do not. So you you have Tooney, um. I guess Allegretti at center is the thought. Probably. And then, and then uh, Duvernay Tardif and then Remmers on, at right tackle. I mean, that's not a good offensive line. No. <laughs> like, it's fine, but that's not a good offensive line. And that's kind of what I'm saying is that even if you have the best left guard now, which I think you could argue that they still don't, even though they have Joe Tooney, there's still a lot of other questions about that group as a whole. Okay. Finish up here, two teams left, Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, what is happening here, Mays? What is the thinking with the Las Vegas Raiders and what they're doing with the moves they've made over the past couple of weeks? Because I cannot piece together a coherent plan from this roster. All the Raiders fans will tell you that you're stupid and that what they're doing is they're not paying their very expensive offensive line that was underperforming and they're pumping those resources back into the defense. There are a couple holes in that argument. One, they were overpaid because they were paid by this regime. Trent Brown didn't give himself that contract. So that part of it is really funny. Also, they're not just putting it back into the the defense. They signed Kenyon Drake to a contract that makes absolutely no sense. So I have no idea what they're doing. It it just feels like they're playing whack-a-mole with their roster. Every year, there's like one or two issues, and then they think they solve that with money, and then another issue pops up. Also, the problem with the Raiders' defense has never been we're not willing to spend enough on the defense. That has not been the shortcoming over the last couple of years. They've spent plenty. It just hasn't worked out because they haven't developed any of those players. Every single guy that is signed with the Raiders on the defensive side of the ball has performed worse after arriving there than he did before, whether that's a draft pick, whether that's somebody they signed in free agency. So taking – the best part of your team, arguably, I guess not the best part because some of those guys were hurt last year and some of them didn't perform any of that. I understand moving on from 
Gabe Jackson because he was expensive or cutting Rodney Hudson because he was expensive or Trent Brown because they were expensive and you feel like your in-house guys give you solutions. But I don't think you can ascribe some grand master plan to what the Raiders are doing and say, this is a smart way to go. I just think that they're, again, just trying to plug holes and solve problems of their own creation in the way that they have over the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think this team is better having depart their offensive line to do what they've done. And it's hard for me to believe that the players they're bringing in are going to play better in Las Vegas than they did in other places because the players they've brought in over the past couple of years have not gotten better, to your point, since joining the Las Vegas Raiders. So I'm very skeptical they are a better team now than they were a couple of days ago. Um, Los Angeles Chargers, final team here on our list. Definitely have a plan. We're going to try and make Justin Herbert's life easier. To that end, Corey Lindsley, Matt Filer, and the aforementioned Odeyabushi all coming in for a line that ranked last uh, by ESPN's pass block win rate metric. Um, I mean, is there anything more to it than that for what the Chargers have done in terms of, you know, is that the most logical thing they could have done? Yes. And I like that the players they spent, I like the players they spent that on. And I like the players that comprise that plan. Uh, I thought Filer was a really good option. He's, he has tackle versatility. He's really good in pass protection. I also think that part of the knock on him is he's not a very good run blocker. I think if you look at the scheme that the Steelers were running last year, it's really hard to be a good run blocker. And you're just not going to see that from any of those guys. I love the value they got with him. And I just think bringing Corey Lindsley in there to kind of change the complexion of your offensive line room and really help your young quarterback. Corey is really smart. You know, he's been somebody that his football IQ is off the charts, trying to take some stuff off of Justin Herbert's plate in what is what I believe is going to be a somewhat complicated and difficult to digest offense early on. I just think it's smart team building. I love what they did. And I also, I mean, having Hunter Henry walk and replacing him at, with Jared Cook, even at his age for that price, I just think is the sort of smart thinking that teams do in free agency. So I, I, I really, really like the plan. I think it makes total sense. Uh, I'm excited to see what this team looks like on both sides of the ball. I was going to say, I like what they've done. I can't wait to see how it goes horribly wrong with injuries. Uh, that's where I am with the Chargers. That's where I am with the NFL offseason. Well, Robert Mays, we've made it through the AFC. We did not make too many Bears jokes. I think we accomplished our two goals here today. Yeah, I, I feel okay. I don't uh, I hate myself a lot more than I did when we started this conversation. So that's a good step. That's a huge improvement on some podcasts we have done in the past. But if you want to listen to Robert Mays do more NFL coverage, Mays, where can they do that? The Athletic Football Show, three times a week, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, all off-season. Our draft coverage starts on Friday. Me and the athletics draft expert, Dane Brugler, going to be doing what I'm calling an idiot's guide to the draft because at this stage, I am a draft idiot because I have done no research on it whatsoever. So hopefully the listeners can learn along with me. Draft idiot, Robert Mays. Thanks so much for coming on the show, buddy. Thanks for having me, bud. It's always fun. All right. Thanks so much as always, to my friend Robert Mays for hopping on today's Bill Barnwell show. Talked about the AFC today. Later this week, we're going to be talking about the NFC with another one of my friends, Lindsey Jones. So hope you guys enjoy that. Hope you enjoy these free agent recaps. Hope you guys are doing well and more audio on the way later this week.